I am going to tell you that she has bought me train tickets to um, that there London, which is in England, um, for a writing retreat. What do you think to that? Well, it's just, I mean, you've made it sound very jazzy. She's bought you train tickets to an empty apartment for a weekend and she's babysitting for you. Well, I will tell you that that was how she sold it. (laughs) I think it's a brilliant idea. I think it's absolutely amazing. It was very kind. Who needs a writing retreat? Well, she called it a writing retreat. She couldn't just say, here are some train tickets, um, go and live in my sister's apartment for a, for a night and get some writing on you, idiot. That would have been a terrible way to present someone with a birthday present. So she, Absolutely. Wrapped, she wrapped it up in the writing retreat concept, which I appreciated. So... so- did, oh my God. So did you actually think that you were going on some really um, cushy writing retreat? For about four to six seconds, yes. Oh, but this is so much better, isn't it? It's so much more real. This is basically you're just being sent away on a train to an empty house with it like a blank canvas. Just me. Or I should call it a blank page, really. Me on a train with a suitcase, empty, no excuses in there. No excuses and no tummy troubles this time, I imagine, when you get there, because no expectation, except from me and all the listeners now, that know that you are going on a writing retreat. Well, yeah, I mean, that's officially what it's being called, I guess, now. <laughs> um, do you know when you're going to do it? Um, <laughs> quite handily, it's on the 18th of December, 18th, 19th and uh, 20th. Of course, of course. I mean, this is all, it's a family affair, the podcast, isn't it? The, the reason you are being sent into a, a vacated flat is because that sister, the one that's also attached to me on the other side of, well, that sounds very weird, but yes, our other sister is coming here to Copenhagen to watch Star Wars with me. I didn't realise that was why she was going. Yeah. So we will be, I mean, I had hoped I could dress up as a stormtrooper, but I just don't think I've got the money to... I haven't. I can't justify buying a stormtrooper costume for it. Why not? She's travelling all the way from London to come and see you. I know. All right, fine. I'll go and buy it. <laughs> that didn't take much convincing. Um, yes. Yeah, so we will. We will be doing that while you're doing that. I know. It's. Uh, it's quite. Da- it's quite daunting. Yeah. This whole no excuses business. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, I, I'm. Slightly jealous. I do have plans in the spring to give myself a little writing retreat and go and visit another sister. Yes, there are loads of us. There are four of us um, who is in Cambridge. And I think I should get there before she stops in the summer because I just imagine all these secret libraries that only people that are studying there can go to, like up winding corridors and stairs and, you know, where you just, you could really just, I don't know. They also have, uh, in Cambridge, they have an incredible bookshop, which... I uh, I don't remember the name of, but um, it's huge. It's got every book that you can possibly think of in there, apart from uh, mine and yours, of course. I did check. <laughs> Just going to say. Yeah, it'd be a miracle if they've got mine. Great. Well, that sounds exciting. It is exciting. I was very grateful for the gift. And um, my plan is to, to know exactly what I'm going to write. I, I, I have set myself a kind of a word count target but i'm 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 not going to worry about that too much i don't think because i think that will just create pressure that isn't there and um and so i think because it's only you know it's only i'm going to be going on friday evening so i'll get the train 
late Friday evening. So the only time I will have on Friday is, and I've been, I've been at work all day. Um, the only time I'll have is on the train. Um, and then because I'm in, a palm, in an apartment on my own, I suspect I will want to spend at least 10 to 15 minutes just kind of running around in my underpants, mm-hmm. um, singing, um, I don't know, some Barbara Streisand song. Yeah, um, with a hairbrush, yeah. All Saturday I will be writing. In your underpants. Oh, exactly the same routine. Um, and then on Sunday I'm getting the four o'clock train back. So it's not like I'm going to get, you know, half well, a... Here we go, here we go. So it's not like you're going to... Come on, come on. That is like one and three quarter days plus a night that you haven't even counted in there. Well, I think I think it's all about preparation. So I think I need to make sure that I've, I'm really well prepared and that I uh, I know exactly what I intend to to um, to write. So I don't I'm not going to just turn up and say right, let's get started on um, I don't know some planning. I think I need to I want to use the time to write because. Um, the problems of uh, having a hectic life with a job and kids is um, it's not that you don't get time because of course you, you know, everyone has a couple of hours once the kids have gone to bed in the evening. It's more that the time isn't um, ever any more than a couple of hours. And, um, you know, even if it was four or five hours on occasion, that would help. You just need a bit of time to get into it and get momentum. And um, it often feels like, um, you, I, I start writing and then it's time to stop writing very quickly. So that's that won't be a problem, at least for a, a day and a half. So um, I'm looking forward to that and having that time to actually get words down. So that's the plan is to... Can um, I make a suggestion? You, of course you can. I think you should buy as many cans of Red Bull as you can and the entire train journey down, you should just back-to-back drink the Red Bull and then you won't want to sleep much over the weekend. Just power through the night. Power through those nights. Make it into basically um, three full days and nights of nonstop psychosadelic writing. Psychosadelic? <laughs> I just made that word up. Isn't that cool? So you're thinking... Um, Sorry, I've had a bit of Red Bull. Switch, uh, switch from Streisand to, let's say, Shakira. Ooh, I was actually thinking uh, a bit more kind of train spotting y. I was going to go for something from the train spotting soundtrack. It, it sounds like you are kind of describing me into some kind of hellish um, drug addled um, dance fest where I'm supposed to try and write at the same time. Well, I just, I'm, I, I'm just sitting here assuming that that's what some, the way that some writers have done it. That they haven't just, you know, if they've had a little bit of time, then they've. I mean, we're talking about Red Bull here. That's true, but I've never really had Red Bull before, so I think that will probably send me slightly um, askew anyway. Um, anyway, so I'm slightly jealous of your, of your birthday present, and I seem to remember last year on our birthday edition of the podcast um, talking about how sad it was that we hardly got any birthday cards anymore. Oh, that's right. We have, yeah, yeah we've been yes. through all this before. Well, I topped it this year. Without a doubt. Last year, I should have been proud of my hoard of eight or however many I got. How many How many cards did you get? Five. <clears throat> five cards. <laughs> <laughs> and let's just say, one of them was from my mum and dad, two of them from my aunties. <laughs> um, what about your husband and children? Yeah, they all chipped in with one, joint oh, one. Good old, good old Martin. 
But could. honestly, on, on my birthday itself, I had four. Um, it's, and it's dispiriting, isn't it? It's dispiriting, but it's I can definitely see a pattern emerging. Like, yeah, I know. I mean, more people than ever before, of course, are wishing me a happy birthday, thanks to good old Facebook. But it's just, it's robbed the world of, and people of the joy of receive, giving and receiving birthday cards. I mean, I, I assume the pattern that you're seeing is that the older you get, the more lonely you are. No, the pattern I was seeing was that the older you are, the more likely you are just to uh, to be the last hangers on as to the sending of birthday cards. My auntie's being the case in point. Yeah. Oh, well, it's always next year. <laughs> yeah. So uh, you're angry. I'm not angry. I'm, I, I've, I'm resigned to it now. But um, but yeah, so I, I'm delighted on your behalf that you get to do, you know, lovely writing retreat. Uh, thanks. I meant that you're angry about the Bookseller Authors Day. Oh, oh, I'm angry about that. I'm angry. I'm outraged. What about, I don't, I, I, I'm looking at the notes. You've put some notes. We share some notes, believe it or not. And I'm not sure what you're angry about. No. I mean, I'm, I'm actually angry on my mum's behalf. And, you know, she's not, she's not angry. But I just feel actually that her experience is something worth talking about here. It's really is a family affair, this episode of the podcast, isn't it? Um, so just to bring everybody up to speed, the bookseller, you know, the organisation, um, had uh, publicised and have just run an author's day. And I asked my mum, because my mum went along, um, who they who they were really pitching for with this, whether they had specifically asked for um, unpublished authors, new authors, or, you know, mid-career, whether there was anything specific. And my mum had said that she, she got the sense that it was pretty much anybody. And they were talking about bringing everybody together in the industry. That's, that was kind of like the theme of the, of the day. Um, and it was a day in London with different speakers. And, um, and the thing which, which was interesting about it for my mum was that you got everybody who went along, who paid the, the fee to go, um, got a 10-minute um, face-to-face meeting with a publisher to pitch a book. Um, and back when I was working at the Irish Writers' Centre in Dublin, um, actually it was after after I left, um, they started to, to do the same thing. It was actually a competition where um, people could send in manu- manuscripts and they whittled it down to, I can't remember how many writers, maybe 20, that were invited to come and do a little tour of... Um, of tables where publishers had set up and were willing to hear um, pitches for for novels. And from that, you could win a publishing contract, which was, you know, was really, really popular. And it did really well. And the, and the, the, the novels over the last couple of years that have been published through it have been very well received. Anyway, going back to my mum, she is uh, quite an experienced writer now. She has, I think, probably about 25 children's books published. So she is not a desperate um, unpublished author. Um, and it just seemed to me when she was talking to me about, about this day and she was doing it, you know, in a really kind of normal way, didn't have any, any complaints really about it whatsoever, that, that she was being treated like she was that, like nobody, nobody had asked her or, or or knew anything about my mum. And yet they were treating her like she was just, you know, "Ah, we'll just stick her with this publisher um, and what happened was that my mum sent along a, um, she publishes, uh, she writes children's books, picture books for young children. She sent in, um, 
a young adult novel that she wanted to present. So they knew, the bookseller, the staff that was setting up, knew that it was a young adult manuscript. And they set her up with a, a meeting with a publisher. So when I saw my mum a few days before the event, I asked her which publisher she'd been put with. And I had a look at them online and I said, um, Mum, I don't think they do young adult books. And we had a quite an interesting discussion. My mum said, oh, but they did The Shock of the Fall by friend of the show, Nathan Filer. Your very good friend, Ian. <laughs> best friend. Best, best, totally bestie, yeah. I said, oh, mum, I don't think that's a young adult novel. And we then had a discussion about whether it was or wasn't and what actually made a young adult novel, which we can come back to, you and I in a minute, Ian. Anyway, to cut a long story short, mum contacted the bookseller um, and said, look, I, this is a young adult novel. The publisher you've set me up with, they don't publish young adult novels. And they said, oh, right, okay, we'll look into it. Didn't do anything about it, it seems. She was put with a publisher on the day that had absolutely no interest in looking at or publishing a young adult novel. Um, and so my mum was about to leave the table um, to go and find the, the organisers to see whether she could go and speak to somebody else, another publisher, to show it to. Uh, and this publisher said, oh, don't worry, just tell us about it anyway. So my mum didn't really feel like she could be rude and just say, uh, no, thanks, you're not going to publish it, so I've got to go and you know, speak to someone else. So she ended up kind of just chatting to them about her book, which for them was probably quite nice because it was like a 10-minute downtime where they didn't actually have to consider a book and they could just have a cup of coffee or whatever. Um, but it was a total waste of time for my mum. And I just thought, what kind of, I mean, who was organising that? And that's just the most ridiculous way to go about things, you know? Well, I could, um, I could give her a call and ask her myself, but um, as we're in the middle of recording, do you know what she was expecting to get out of it? She was expecting to be able to present her young adult manuscript to a publisher that might have been interested in reading it, taking it back and reading it and considering publishing it, of course. And do you think that that type of session was, that that was ever likely for any author that was at that particular day? I think that it was set up to be the case, yes. So do you think that that's the bit that is potentially misleading, that the idea that you would have a 10-minute pitch and um, an author would be suddenly on the verge of signing a, some kind of um, agency or publishing contract? Because it seems hugely I unlikely to me. I think that this is just slightly kind of preying on the desperation of people who really would like to get published for the first time. I think that, you know, they're setting up these days, they need to make money. And, you know, a lineup of people saying, you know, oh, everybody needs to think about this and this and this, and, and this is how you get an agent, blah, blah, blah. Um, it's probably not pulling people in in the same way when they don't have money to give to, to go along and, and get advice. So they're saying, okay, well, let's get people by saying that you can have 10 minute with a publisher you know, that's going to, people will be desperate to do that. And then the publishers are like, okay, well, fine, we're getting paid to go along, but let's just send someone along, not really very interested. There, another interesting thing that came up during the day was under one of the panel discussions, um, which, you know, the audience were not allowed to really take part in. It was just, just the people there. There wasn't really discussion or anything. Um, somebody on one of the panels said that, that it's quite a common complaint about the publishing industry that publishers actually don't want to deal with authors you know, they were, they just, that's the side of it that they don't have time for. And the author always gets squeezed out unless, you know, they're obviously a big name, the big reputation. But I found that quite interesting. I think that, that that is potentially quite true. I don't know. My experience is that 
on both sides of actually having worked in the publishing industry as a as publicist and you know being a published author is that it's incredibly difficult to get heard as an author with publishers a lot of it's just kind of lip service you know um <laughs> it's uh, it's definitely brutal it's a very brutal industry to be in and it's a fairly brutal industry well, it's, it's kind of it's been brutal for everyone for a few years um that is in the let's call it the traditional publishing um world but for a lot of um traditionally published authors which is what we're talking about here it is a it's um it's difficult but we've we've covered an awful lot of that it's um uh, previously i mean it's just the advances are small uh, in general of course there are some there are some outliers that are big and there are some authors who are who are built who have you know perfectly uh, serviceable careers um where the, where their writing is their uh, income but for an awful lot of people that isn't the case and i i still feel like that story isn't told enough um and at the same time, I don't know why I want that story told because whenever I think, hmm, this story needs to be told more, I try and check myself to see whether I just think, well, I want to kind of tell everyone why, <laughs> tell everyone that, you know, I've got a full-time job as well. But, you know, that's yeah. the, I, I, I feel like I can't possibly, I mean, take it off on the Right For Your Life podcast bingo board uh, or drink drinking game, that one, you know, we've been over that many times. Um, I just think that in terms of, an author day, the idea that, uh, and this is clearly not to criticise your mum. I feel, I feel like this event wasn't wasn't for your mum. I feel like, mm. uh, I feel like, um, I, I didn't actually know anything about it before it was before it happened. So I didn't know anything about it. Um, so I don't know what it sold itself as, but um, it feels like it wasn't for 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 your mum because, like you say, she's an extremely experienced author and um, by a lot of measurements and a successful author too. Um, and, and so they probably just weren't expecting someone like her to kind of rock up. Um, yeah, but I don't think she's expecting that much. Like, and she's not, they didn't know that she was published and it didn't matter, actually. That didn't matter in the slightest in this situation because, you know, there's a world of difference between picture books and young adult manuscripts. They're just, my, the contacts that my mum has um, through all all the publishing contracts that she's had, uh, you know, with with publishing companies that produce an entirely different type of book and they're not going to even look at this manuscript. So on the face of it, why not just, uh, just you know, go and chat to some publishers who are publishing young adult fiction? That's what she'd hoped to get and to, you know, maybe not even get a, a deal, but to get a sense from them whether, you know, she was going along the right lines or whatever, you know. And I don't think that that that, that was unrealistic. I, I just think... To, to, to send along a manuscript and then put somebody with a publisher that's not interested at all in that genre, I just think that that's, that's really taking the biscuit. I, I agree. That sounds, that seems, seems uh, unfair and a bit kind of ridiculous. I mean, it's just, it is pointless for, for that author. Um, and presumably there were lots of other authors in a similar situation. It sounds like they thought, when I say I don't, don't know if you, that kind of, thing was for your mum I mean in the sense that it seems like they were expecting authors who primarily going through the experience of pitching your novel to someone um, or, or whatever it is you're writing um, that the experience of doing that alone would be extremely valuable therefore people would want to do that but of course 
the reality is any any time you pitch your work to anyone in any situation, what you really want them to do is say, I love it. Here's a, here's a publishing contract and your career for the next 30 years. Um, mm -hmm. So perhaps it was f foolish to offer um, any kind of um, speed dating style book related thing um, and not and not expect at least uh, <laughs> at least well most people I think most authors to uh, at the back of their head to be thinking you know this is more than just uh, the experience mm. yeah. but the day was more than just those uh, those uh, 10 minute pitches wasn't it it was actually a day of seminars and I did see some other interesting stuff on the web a few write-ups of um of the day it seemed like it was a, a bit of a mixed bag as a day that there was some good stuff some criticism um that some publishers came and had people speak on panels and then they just left and didn't kind of hang around to um, i guess engage in the the mingling part of the event which is often the most useful part of any event um it's uh what the feedback did i see well exactly like you know they don't want to deal with authors that's that's what i was saying earlier yeah yeah i don't know i don't know about that it's it's hard because you haven't the thing is you haven't worked on the other side of the fence and i always we have as authors we have this uh i have of course you have okay well you're the well you tell us are you interested <laughs> are you interested in yourself yeah but that's why i can totally imagine you know that they've the, the, whoever's been sent along from the publishing house has been told okay look yeah fine go along you we'll show our face this is good and you've got this amount of time and then you need to get back because you've got you know you've got a million authors waiting for you here and you've got these uh, launches that you need to set up and you know these contacts need to be chased and blah, blah 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 and so people are going in and they're incredibly incredibly pressured so the expectation on a day like this is you know authors really feel like they might come face to face with publishers but it's just it's so difficult I mean there are just so many barriers there are, but I mean, this was um, this was the uh, this, this uh, the author day was um, uh, what was it? You tell me. <laughs> it was uh, it was when uh, the the indie publishing world and the traditionally publishing world sort of came together a little bit. It seemed like there was a real mix of uh, both um, both types of author, which of course is just the same type of author, just published in different ways, um, and a lot of the. A lot of the things that I've seen have been from um, self people who are self-published, um, and again, it's kind of a mixed bag. But it's still, I think, the general sense is that people. So you read it so often, don't you? That the I read another thing. I'll come back to this. I read another thing this week, uh, and I think I put it in. No, I didn't. I didn't put it in my newsletter uh, last week, but I plan to put it in this week, uh, this upcoming week, and. It was about a lack of skills in the publishing industry. So a lack of tech skills. And this is something I said about three years ago. I think I might have done a, done a YouTube video about it, like a, a vlog, a vlog, which is how you pronounce it. Um, and it's something that I've noticed and had some experience of where um, I've been sort of slightly surprised by what seemed to me a lack of technical skills in the publishing uh, industry. So again, this is the traditionally published side of things. And of course, on the other side of uh, the uh, the publishing fence, we have a world of people publishing independently, who, if they didn't have the technical skills at the start, by the time they finished self publishing, they have gone, they, you know, they inevitably have picked up lots of technical skills. Um, so there is 
that kind of thing, just knowing the mechanics of how to get a book out there, you know, get a cover, work with an editor, do all those kinds of things, get your own website set up. Um, but then there's also a side of things which um, someone self-publishing wouldn't necessarily need to have, but you would think that the skills should be in the publishing world and that any any kind of publisher, that they would have someone who potentially knows, I don't know, even basic HTML and CSS or um, how to not just manage a content management system, but, you know, code, basically, um, how to build an app, how to transfer, how to put together um, uh, an, an audio book or, or a, or a or a book trailer. These are all, everything, all of those things that I've just listed are things that I have in some form or other done myself. And they are all things that I've had to learn myself. I know that I've got a bit of career overlap and I'm not even a self-publisher. Um, there's a bit of a career overlap with me and that's fine. But for a lot of it, it's stuff that I've done in order to try and help my publishing career. Look at this, this very podcast. Now this is not, mm -hmm. it's not NPR, but I know my way around GarageBand and Logic and um, I've got, you know, I know enough for us to be able to put this together. Like, I don't know if um, most publishing houses would know how to do that. Um, and maybe the big ones, but maybe not all of them. So I do think that the publishing industry does still, one of the, in one of the ways that it is behind and in one of the ways that I think it is quite frustrating to authors um, is a potential lack of technical skills. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, and I would say if if you know it wasn't a road to absolute nowhere and just like taking money and and weighing on it and then throwing it in the bin or just throwing it in the bin, of course you could also do that. Then I'd say you and I we could set, we should set up our own publishing company. Donna, I've thought about it many times, or at least my it's own. Such a shame. There's no money in books, eh? Or at least at least a a, a you know a literary journal. <laughs> but you know me, I've got more ideas than sense. <laughs> quite well anyway um i probably should just finish off that whole author's day thing by saying that i when i worked at the irish writer center we we set up days where we got in um a, a variety of kind of different speakers you know like a publisher an agent um somebody who was doing self-publishing just to chat to people and um you know they were so so oversubscribed those days there were not enough seats in the room for the people that wanted to get to them because authors felt like they were going to come and have an opportunity to, you know, once they'd had a, once they'd done their section, grab a publisher or an agent by the on the elbow and say hello. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> it sounds terrifying. Like a them in the toilet, basically. Yeah. Um, they they, you, they just felt like it was an opportunity to get face to face, and that is what I think a lot of authors are really looking for are these opportunities. And I'm just saying, I think we just have to be a little bit careful before we fork out money for them, because you are not necessarily going to get anywhere near somebody from the publishing industry. Yeah, I, I mean, it's difficult to comment on a specific event when when I well when I wasn't there anyway. I it's um that what you just said is exactly how I. Um, used to go about things accosting people in toilets, that type of thing. Um, we, but I was part of obviously um, a master's course, you know, a postgraduate writing course where we would have people from the industry come and speak every Wednesday for an hour, and um, and then you'd get to you know have a chat to them, get their wisdom, their advice, uh, learn about the industry, and that was you know to be fair, that was a fairly significant part of the course. It was really, um, you know, really valuable. Mm -hmm. 
I don't know how much of that goes on now because I'm not in that situation now. So this is what I'm, I, I do sometimes try and remind myself that um, for a few years, for, you know, for reasons um, very well known to podcast listeners, um, I've not been in that world so much. But, you know, there is a whole literary world that is going on. It's just that it's sort of changed shape and people have, authors have more options. I mean, I do think that's important to remember is that although um, uh, something like Author Day, uh, although the intentions might be good, there are definitely elements of it that clearly could have been better and clearly don't seem to be that beneficial to authors um, or certainly is not being particularly well thought out for authors. And it can, you know, it can feel quite um, um, stifling sometimes as an author, just like, you know, you just want, you just want a break. You just want that opportunity. But I think the, the, the kind of the reality is there is more opportunities now than there ever has been um, ever. You can, there are so many different ways that you can potentially make a career. You just need to have an awful lot of time and put in an awful lot of hard work. But the different ways that you can publish and receive money for it, um, you know, there are far more than there used to be. The way that we just described used to be the only way. And that's not the case anymore. Totally agree. We all just need to to navigate this 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 whole brave new world properly, so that we're not these frantic underachievers. I can't remember who said that phrase, but it's just so perfectly sums up what you potentially can become when there are so many ways to engage in things and so many different opportunities out there to grab hold of that you do end up doing lots of different things not very well. Um, and being a frantic underachiever. And that's that's what, what we need to be careful of as well. Trying to do a few things well. Yeah, what do you mean by a frantic underachiever? And does this does this relate to the um the article that I uh I tweeted with the quote about um about social media? Is that the s- Oh no, it didn't, but it it totally could relate to that because I guess my example would be when I when my book was published and I thought, okay, right, now, you know, now I've got to think about how I'm going to put this, get the word out. And when you're looking at all the different ways that you can engage with people online, you get, it's, you, you suddenly get a bit frantic and a bit like, okay, there's so many different things I've got to do and I've got to do this and my website and good reason, blah, 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 all this kind of stuff. But then you end up not doing any of them very well if you're not careful. And maybe just picking two or three of them or even just one or two um, it's probably a much better idea. You just feel like you have to be everywhere all the time, or at least considering being everywhere all the time. I definitely think that that is something that um, I felt before that the idea that I had to have um, had to have a, a profile on everything going, and um, and it's not really the case. And even in my day job now, I would always recommend to, well, previously to clients, but now to the company that I actually work for, that um, that. That you would do exactly what you, do exactly what you've just said and focus on um, the kind of channels, if you forgive the terminology, um, that makes sense. Um, but um, yeah, it does relate. It kind of, I think that does all relate to. Uh, shall I read? Shall I read the quote? Hmm. Yeah, do it. Let me tell you about this. So basically, there is an article, and it's on the internet. I don't know if you're aware of the internet. Um, I've heard of it. Yeah, it is by. Um, an author called Paul Kingsnorth. Um, I think he was, um, 
either a rider of Rohan or he was... I was going to say Game of Thrones. Or he was on a character on Game of Thrones. Or just a place. Just a place. This is very rude. Everything I've just said there is very rude because this is a real author. And maybe this is why I've got no author friends apart from you um, and Nathan. Um, and Austin Klingon, yeah. Yes. Absolute best pals, all four of us. Um, Paul Kingsnorth, very well-respected author, has no idea who I am, and rightfully so. He has written a post called What Would Ted Do? And the Ted that he's referring to is uh, Ted Hughes. And um, he um, it's, it's quite a long post, and it starts off with the line, I have decided to walk away from social media. And there is quite a lot of interesting uh, things that he has to say. Um, some that I don't necessarily agree with, some that I do. I can see here now that he says... Um, it, to me, it feels cheap and shabby and depressing a lot of the time. Um, I don't find most of what I read on Twitter or Facebook to be illuminating. Uh, some of it can be, but a lot of it is to uh, toxic or predictable or infuriating, etc. So he has a lot of things to say about social media, but that wasn't the paragraph. The paragraph that I can't get out of my head and I've been thinking about since is the following. Let me find it for you. Um... When I look around at the people I regard as great contemporary writers, I see that 90% of them do not have social media accounts. Thinking about this makes me realise how disappointed I would be if any of them did. If Wendell Berry started tweeting links, or Mary Oliver began sharing petitions on Facebook, or Cormac McCarthy began posting pictures of his breakfast, I think my world would end. Mm. And... I thought, my, the, as soon as I read that, it struck me. I kind of highlighted it in Instapaper immediately. And I spent the first three days after reading that, thinking about it and agreeing with it. I kept thinking, he's right. All of the really incredibly famous, great authors, they're not on Twitter. They're not. Um, famous is the wrong word. He used the word great. Let's stick with that. Um, great contemporary authors, you know, they're not tweeting links all the time. They're not sharing petitions to this, that, and the other. And they're not um, known as uh, social media figures. They release a book every couple of years, and they are generally considered to be, uh, you know, their reputation remains. Um, and that's kind of what I was thinking. And I suddenly thought, gosh, I've, I've spent, well, not just the three years since my book was published, but um, years before that, trying to build up an audience and to be on social media, to run a, a blog and to have this podcast where I share an awful lot about me. And one of the things that made me think about was this idea that people know, you know, not everyone knows, but if you, if you can be bothered to listen to the podcast on a regular basis, then you, you know, you kind of know a lot about me. I share an awful lot about me. Um, and, and, and maybe that, maybe that, distracts from my work which of course at the moment is only one novel but um you know hopefully in 10 years time it's going to be more than that there's going to be a bigger body of work but there's also going to be this longer trail of me inevitably like everyone in the world these days um a trail of social media and updates and blog posts and podcast episodes behind me you know there is no mystique to to me as an author there is no mystery um the work can never be separated because there is so much information about me as a person and as an author out there that's what i thought at first um and then for the last two days i've been thinking probably the opposite because i thought well let me have a think of think about 
some other writers who I really like. And I thought about John McGregor, um, uh, Joyce Carol Oates, Margaret Atwood. Um, and then I thought about authors that I haven't read an awful lot of their work, but they're contemporary authors who I know. We mentioned Joanne Harris last week. Matt Haig has got a huge Twitter profile. And they are all... Irvin Welsh has got a massive one. Irvin Welsh. And I think actually what he's what he said was kind of not true. There are many great contemporary authors who do have social media profiles. Um, well, I mean, the statistic 90% that he kind of came up that you could, you could argue that, it, you know, that might not be quite right, but definitely less great contemporary writers have, uh, have are active on social media than are. Were you not considering that this might be an age thing? It could be and amazing. That, you know, to get to have the chance to get to be a great contemporary writer, you do have to be kind of in your fifties or sixties to have built up a great big body of work. And they're not necessarily the generation that embraced social media first. That's all. Yeah, and I mean there are some examples of people who I don't know. It's not. It's, it's just not as clear cut as I, I. I just read it and something struck a chord. Um, on reflection, I think obviously the 90% is something is entirely made up. Um, and there are lots of examples of authors who do share an awful lot online and still publish regularly and um, and um, enjoy social media. Um, but that's, that. I guess I'm at the point now with this that that's, that kind of feels like it's not the point. I kind of feel like I've always been... So not always, maybe maybe more so. Um, previously, I would have been sharing more. So, for example, we did podcast podcast episodes more often. I blogged more, and I was on social media more. I think in the last year, I've definitely cut back a lot on social media, and a lot of the time, it's it's because I feel like I haven't got much to say. <laughs> I feel like I'm. I feel like I'm. Not, I feel like I'm, I feel like a whole world is passing me by because I don't update really when I'm at work during the day. And yet, you know, I do occasionally have a check if I'm on my lunch or, you know, making a cup of tea, that kind of thing. And you just see, because, you know, everyone I follow or most people I follow are in publishing um, or authors. And you just, it just feels like this entire world is taking place without me. And so I kind of feel like maybe I should be or maybe, you know, not just me, but maybe authors, um, if you feel like you can't keep up and make social media such a fundamental part of not just who you are, but your work, then maybe it's best just not to be on there at all. What do you think? The idea of just going off the radar every so often. When I go on holiday, which, you know, if I'm lucky, once a year, have a proper holiday of a couple of weeks or something, I am very, very rarely online during that time and that is you know purposefully not and I think that I when I get cracking in the spring with my my next big book project I'm just going to do that for myself when I'm going to say okay next two weeks is right a writing two weeks and I'm just not going to do as much because I can see totally myself as well that you know the days when I'm on Twitter the days when I'm like avoiding doing bigger things do you know what I mean like I, I can you can dip in and out of Twitter, obviously, um, without using up too much time. But it's just that being pulled in different directions rather than just going down a rabbit hole into your own your own bit of work that you're about to get started on. So I think that it's it's a lot about the way that you approach these things. And um, 
aside of the fact that you're sharing your entire life on there, that, you know, that's, that could be discussed whether that's a good or a bad thing for in the future when we're, you know, massively famous and we've both won the Nobel Prize for Literature. For me, it's more the distraction aspect of it, um, being able to control that. Yeah, and, and and I agree with that. There's obviously something to something about um, you know Twitter, Facebook, those types of things where you are constantly checking. It is a distraction. I wonder whether now whether because we there's pressure on us. Like I feel the pressure to not disappear. Um, um, apart from the fact that I enjoy podcasting, I've you know I enjoy uh, writing online. I enjoy social media. There is still a pressure to to be there, to be this person who is on there because, um, you know, we have something to not, we have something to sell, but it's, it's not just that it feels like in publishing, there is a pressure to, to have a, a presence of some kind, again, pardon the terminology. Um, but part of me wonders whether it's, it's kind of wasted a bit on Twitter. Like if my energy in terms of keeping a presence and wanting people to come along on the journey with me, because that's part of the reason I do it. It's part of the reason for doing this podcast and talking about going on a writing retreat for my birthdays, because I want people to be, um, you know, I want to share my experience, but also I like the idea of taking people with me on a journey. So the next time, you know, when book two does come out, there's going to be a merry band of people who've listened to this podcast who will know what, um, what I've been through in order to get there. And I think it's this idea of creating, um, you know, uh, I, I use this term so loosely, I can't, you know, this is the loosest anyone could possibly use a term like this, but fan base. So, you know, a group. I thought you were going to say enablers. <laughs> no. Um, but, you know, a group of people who are behind you because they like what you do, whether it's in, in our case, whether it's our fiction or even if it's just the podcast, maybe they hate our fiction, but they appreciate um, some of the nonsense that we talk about on this show. I think that there's, um, like, I like that. That's, that seems to me like a much more valuable way of spending time. Like doing this podcast, writing a blog post feels like, it doesn't feel like waste of time. Like it never feels like waste of time. Whereas messing around on Twitter or even just thinking of things to write on Twitter. Conversations are fine, but, you know, thinking of that first tweet, um, it it's got, gets to a point where you think, what's the point? Because you've got other authors and other publishing industry people who are on there all the time. My my tweet is just going to get it's lost in the wind. So I think unless you can be completely committed to something like that, and it's kind of a 24-7 thing, or however long you're awake for... Um, social media these days you can't it feels like it's it's not something you can drift in and out of anymore um it's something you have to kind of either be all in on or or kind of just ignore it like paul kingsnorth being somewhere in the middle like i think we are now where we can kind of you know have a look after work or maybe tweet at lunchtime it's very hard to have conversations because i used to be able to use it more and i would have much more you know, many more conversations. It would be about, you know, I met, there's loads of people who I kind of feel like I know and it's all through Twitter and, and online and, and that kind of thing. And I, I, you know, that doesn't really, that's not really how it works for me anymore because I'm, I, I, I'm only able to use it more sporadically. But now I'm thinking, I, you know, I still want to take people along with me for the journey. And I kind of, the more I think about it, the more I think that, um, it's not a case of like giving up social media. It maybe it's a case of just accepting that that's not the format in which to kind of take people with you and have conversations um, and kind of share your experience, share your, um, um, again, I'm using this term loosely, but knowledge and um, 
skills with a Z, that type of thing. I don't know. This has kind of mm. turned into a bit of a ramble on my part. It wasn't what I was intending. <laughs> I thought I had some coherent thoughts, but it turns out I don't. Um, I think it's quite an interesting idea, this wasting time, like that you don't want to be wasting time. Um, and actually, I think that's something I need to be better at. This whole thing about, you know, frantic underachievers and being online all the time. I think sometimes one of the reasons I convince myself not to start writing is because I feel like unless I'm like really ready and I've really got things bashed out in my head that, that I'm going to be wasting time. And I just think it's so important just to sometimes just to be able to sit down. And even if you've wasted the time, then that's still, it's still good time. You know, if it's been writing time, do you know what I mean? I agree with wasting. It's, it's you're using the term wasting time, but it sounds like what what you mean is, um, working, but not necessarily actually feeling like you are writing a thousand words a minute. Just that 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 concept that you sit down and you 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 think or you make notes or you sketch or you or you you kind of you don't worry too much about a word count, for instance, or writing three poems in an hour. It's a case of I don't know concentrating. And, yeah, but not- because even if it's not something you're going to use, even if it's something that you throw out or it's taken in a different direction or whatever. I mean, as long as it's, it's that you've been able to disconnect yourself and just think about your writing, then, then that's great. Whereas I feel like, okay, look, I'm not going to, I'm not going to take five minutes here to do writing because I'm not going to get the most out of it. And I'm not going to do anything really efficient with that five minutes. Do you know what I mean? I do. Yeah. 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 Great. Well, that was, that was a nice little rant that you had there, wasn't it? It was a bit of a rant. I'm not, uh, you can tell probably that I'm still thinking about these things. While you're thinking about it, can I just tell you briefly about something which was positive, I thought, this week, and quite a nice little, not little, but a nice idea from the the publishing industry. This felt like a pretty heavy show, hasn't it? Yeah. Let's lighten things up with a, a little book of the year, shall we, about a little foxy. Was it mine? Oh, no. Okay. No, sorry. Um, I was just going to mention that um, in the news this week, the Waterstones Book of the Year was announced, and... I think it surprised a lot of people because they didn't go for the big sellers like Ghost Set a Watchman or I think The Girl on the Train was the other one, um, which I noticed, I think, later was W.H. Smith's book. I can't even say that. W.H. Smith's book of the year. <laughs> um, but they went for um, a really beautifully designed little picture book um, by a, a... She was actually somebody who worked in the publishing industry as a book designer. Um it's called Coralie, oh, it's by Coralie Bickford Smith and it's called The Fox and the Star. And I think it's a great idea from a, from a, a book chain to go for a book that's not sold very well. What's it about? I don't know. <laughs> it's based on the poetry of Blake and it's about um, a fox who is normally followed through the forest by the moon, but one day can't find the moon and it's about loss and feeling insecure and all sorts of things like that. But it's beautifully designed and... I think it's more about for me about the fact that it's it's a book which they really feel people should know about rather than the books which have brought them loads of money in the year. And actually the last year the book that they chose last year their sales of that book increased by a 1000%, which is just amazing, isn't it? It makes a absolutely huge difference. Yeah. So I thought that's great, you know, because this is this is pick, potentially picking out um smaller books which would be overlooked and I think that's a really great thing. Indeed. Well, there you go. Um, I do have some terrible news, despite the fact that we've said that we're going to lighten things up a bit. 
some ter- terrible, terrible news. You lightened it up for nearly two minutes, so. I know, it's, it's I know. I couldn't, I couldn't stay there in that lovely bubble. It's the xylophone. I haven't got it. Is that the news? That's the news. So I can't do the listener's question unless you can somehow go back and put in a xylophone effect for that for me. I could do. How about I, um, I've got quite a tickly cough. I don't know if you've noticed that I'm talking quite slowly and quite low because I'm kind of permanently trying not to cough. Um, even then when I went, um, it's kind of, it's like intake of breath. However, I could, um, I could lay down a beat for you. Yeah, I'd love that. Go on then. Let me think. Let me think. How might it go? What are you doing? <laughs> Sorry, I thought, I thought we were both going to do some beatboxing. No, Sorry. No, what are you talking about? <laughs> I was replacing the xylophone, so you were going to do listeners' questions. Yeah, I know. Just kidding. Go do it again. Listeners' question. <laughs> that worked really well. Maybe the xylophone is, is, is old news. Maybe, sounds, I think I was probably a bit too slow. Uh, sorry, I like slowing it down for a change. I normally get a little bit overexcited when I'm doing it and speed it up. Yeah. Anyway, Kirsten. And great. I'm now going to say that there are two different ways to, on the face of it to pronounce this last name. Hams or Hamas? I think it's Hamis. Okay. <laughs> um, on Twitter, at K-E-R-S-T-I-N-H-A-M-M-E-S. A, um, a regular listener, so can I apologise for doing that stupid voice? <laughs> um, I love, uh, our listeners always have fun, fantastic names. Nobody has just, like, shown up and just been like John Smith. I'm very glad about that. But John Smith, if you'd like to tweet us too, you're most welcome. Um, anyway, Kirsten very nicely wrote to us and said that today's one of those days where you start a new Scrivener project. Wonder if right for the life... <laughs> Now I've just changed the name of our podcast as well. Right for the life. Wonder if right for your life uses Scrivener. Um, what the sh- I mean, that sounds like the show in general. I think, I mean, do you? I presume you don't. I'm going to. You're going to use Scrivener as a poet? No, as um, as a novelist. Oh, I forgot. Yeah, you're going to write a novel, aren't you? Yeah. Don't do it. It's an awful business. It takes Stop takes ages. It. I know it takes ages. And that's why I'm thinking, oh my God, after the whole complete chaos of my planning stage for my other my children's novel i'm probably scrivener is going to be a really good idea i've just realized where this is heading where is it heading you're going to finish before me (laughs) okay i think we should just clarify what you mean there you're talking about finish a novel before you yeah i don't why would why did we need to clarify that (laughs) because of my brain and it did sound like an innuendo that's not the first innuendo of the show by the way what was the what other innuendos? Of, which ones did I miss? Um, I said Irvin Welsh has got a big one. <laughs> <laughs> so there's just a few more opportunities for our regular listeners <laughs> to drink. Anyway, what about Scrivener, Ian? Um, yes, Scrivener is uh, it's an app. It's a writing app for Windows and for Mac. And um, I used to use it. I have used it in the past. I, do, I, I basically started writing this current novel um, on it. My second novel, not my current novel. You know what I'm talking about, and mm-hmm. um, and um, so I've never actually completed a project with Scrivener, but um, it was great, um, very good if you want to organise things, uh, very good if you want to kind of have 
everything in one place. So all your notes, your research, um, it's good for exporting things uh, in different formats. Um, so a lot of people who publish independently use it. Um, Scrivener is fantastic. It's kind of become the the thing that all writers use, really. Um, but not me. I switched. I moved over to an app called Ulysses, which I've uh, linked to on the in my <clears throat> in my newsletter a couple of times. Um, I use Ulysses. It's much. It's a similar sort of premise in the sense that you can have everything in one place. Um, but I, I really like the filing system it has, and it doesn't quite have as many bells and whistles that I don't necessarily use. So I still like to do quite a lot of my planning with post-it notes and notebooks, but the actual writing I like to do in Ulysses because it, rather than have documents in various folders everywhere, it really organises things in a very neat way. Um, and, um, and yeah, it's very pretty too. Oh, and it syncs to the iPad. So I, I prefer Ulysses personally. Um, we'll put a link to both of these things in the show notes, which you can find at... Um, at 5x5.tv slash WFYL slash 157. That's right. So um, not me, but um, Scrivener is fantastic. I mean, it was just a personal preference. Oh, actually, well, I, yeah, maybe I won't use it then. <laughs> no, I'll have a look at Ulysses too. <coughs> it's actually called Ulysses 3. Oh, tickly three. coughs come through. You are? It's actually called Ulysses 3. Ulysses. Do you remember that? <laughs> oh, dear. Anyway. Do we have anything else we want to rant everybody about before we finish up for this week, Ian? There's quite a few things that we've got written down here, but um, yeah, but we're not gonna. We're not gonna. We're not gonna. No. Enforce, no, inflict them on people, are we? No. Are we going to do another episode before Christmas? Ooh, I believe we are. We should do, shouldn't we? Yeah, let's do it. We've got to anyway. We've got to work on our Christmas jingle, um, which now sounds like it's going to involve beatboxing. It looks like it looks that way, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, sounds that way even. Indeed. Where can I find you on the internet if I would want to do that thing? Um, you can find me for, um, you know, anything relating to uh, Right for Your Life on the Right for Your Life hashtag WFYL or just tweet me at The Flying Poet. Um, same for me, apart from I don't have your password, so I have to use my own account, which is Ian Broom, I-A-I-N-B-O-O-M-E. And also... Leave a review. We've got some really nice reviews, and I've never told anyone about it. Never read them out. Never put them on the uh, marketing literature, of which there is none. And um, but people have said some nice things. We're currently at five stars. Five stars. Do you know how many of that's out of? Yes, that is amazing. That's, that's just my mum's the only person that's written a review and put five star, put stars down. Do you reckon? No, there are strangers on there. <gasps> Strangers in Moscow. Yeah, and it's people because there is a group of people on the uh, on Twitter that talk about the show more than others, um, and it's none of them. None of those people have. Uh, <laughs> what it means that there is an opportunity for more, you know. Um, so leave a review. It helps. Um, it helps with uh, getting the show out there and that kind of thing. That'd be fantastic. Oh yeah, that would be really nice. Super duper. Yep. Well, thank you, Ian. I will speak to you again very soon. I'm going to go and cough for at least fifteen minutes solid.